Welcome to the Man in the Mirror Bible Study Podcast. Today we are continuing our series in James, looking at the question of the law of love. And our speaker is Brett Clemmer, president of Man in the Mirror. I'm going to ask you to turn your uh, Bible to James 2, uh, 8 to 13, and uh, Brett is going to take care of you guys today. All right. going to wait. National Carrot Cake Day. Yeah. Man, I, I don't know how I would have gotten through this day without knowing that. Hey, it's great to see you guys this morning. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this series that we're in, uh, The Wisdom of James. We've been, we've been going through it pretty methodically um, and really looking at this just a few verses at a time so that we can really dive deep in, and, um, and benefit from being washed over by the Scripture here. Uh, I do want to give you a couple, uh, or just really one reminder before I forget to do it. I'm just going to do it up front, which is all my table leaders. Can I get all the table leaders to raise your hands? Look around, guys. These are the, yeah, give these guys a hand. They're, uh, these guys are are um, praying for their tables every week. They're, we meet periodically, and um, they they love you guys. This is their ministry. This is their ministry. And um, we're honored to, to, to provide a venue for that ministry to happen where guys can study the Bible together and then, and then talk about it. So just a reminder to the table leaders, tomorrow morning we are meeting at the office for our annual retreat. We'll do some planning and some praying together. We'll be praying for all of you guys tomorrow. And, um, and so we'll see you in the morning at 830. All right, let's open your Bibles, as uh, Vlad said, to James chapter 2. And we're going to be continuing it in our series on the wisdom of James. I want to welcome all of you guys that are here this morning, all the guys that are listening via the podcast. Just a reminder, if you miss a week, you can get the podcast. Now, I think we're only running a week behind on the podcast, so you can go and listen to that. And as they say, if you like the podcast, please go ahead and, and write a review of it. And if you don't like the podcast, keep your thoughts to yourself. All right. So, uh. Uh, James 2, we're going to start with verse 8 to 13. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into this. Well, Father, we come before you this morning as men who are sinners uh, in need of grace. Lord, we are um, in darkness and lead, in need of your light. We are in bondage in need of your freedom. And so, Father, we pray as we explore James this morning that we will learn a little bit more about the way that you want us to live, how we can live an abundant, fruitful life, Lord, and what are the things that hold us back from that? And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, illuminate our minds and hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. And Lord, I pray that if there are men here that are not followers of Christ, that you will spark in their heart a new interest, a desire to know you, to um, at least learn more about what this Christian life is all about, Lord, and, and even to commit to following you so that they can have uh, a vibrant life as well. And we lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're in James, uh, James 2, 8 to 13. We're, uh, we're talking uh, um, about the wisdom of James. And last week, Dale talked about the first eight verses of this chapter, which were talking about what? One word, partiality. 
was, I was trying I was trying to do the charades thing quick enough, but I couldn't I couldn't count the syllables in my head fast enough. Yeah, one word: partiality. So, what is partiality? Favoritism. Any other words that you'd use for partiality? Bias. What? Say that again. Okay, inclinations. Judgment. Or prejudgment, which would be prejudice. Good, I got we got one English literature major in the room. Yeah, prejudice, right? And so partiality. And so this is this this passage today is a continuation of that, and then sort of an introduction to the next section of the of the letter that that James wrote. So let me read James two eight to thirteen. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Keep that phrase in mind, the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here's here's the interesting thing, like why partiality? James could have talked about lots of different um, sins or lots of different issues, but he but he talked about partiality. Why did he talk about partiality? Partiality, and um, I think the reason is is because it was an issue that they were that they were dealing with in, in that day. And it's not just James that's talking about it. Let's look at look at these real quick. Jesus was concerned about partiality in Matthew, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fly around here. You can you can feel free to flip with me in your Bibles. But look at Matthew. 544. Let me, I'm going to start with 43. You've heard it that, it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those, for those who persecute you. And so he, Paul, Jesus is like right down to the, I mean, you want to talk about partiality. What about your enemies? Shouldn't you be, shouldn't you be partial against your enemies? No, Jesus says, he says, he says, love your enemies. Um, and then if you look uh, at Luke 10, we could, we could look at this in Matthew 22 as well, but let's look at Luke 10. And he gets, Jesus gets asked a question by a teacher of the law in Luke uh, 10, 25 to 28. He says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So what does this have to do with partiality? Because he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So then they ask, what's the next question they ask Jesus? Who's my neighbor? And who is, and what does Jesus go to as his neighbor? It's that family that lives next door to you that you loan your lawnmower to when theirs breaks down. That's not what, where did Jesus go to? He went to the ethnic group that was despised by the Jews. That's your neighbor. 
Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. Uh, Paul picks up on it. Flip over to Romans 2. Romans 2, uh, verse 11. Paul says this. This is a very short. Actually, this will be our memory verse for the day because it's short. For God shows no partiality. How's that for straightforward and simple? So Paul, Paul says it's a big deal. John thinks it's a big deal. Turn to 1 John, which is a, a, a few books past James. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. John says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so you can see that the, the New Testament, you know, Jesus and the New Testament writers, James, Paul, and, and John are all saying the same thing, that we're to love everyone, that we're to love each other. And, and they're calling back to, to, to Old Testament passages. We won't, we won't turn there, but you can write down in your notes Leviticus 19.15, Deuteronomy 16.19. Very clear indications in the law that we are not to show partiality. That's why it's a big deal. And so what I would guess is partiality was a big deal then, and it's a big deal now. And so we as believers, we as followers of Christ, we need to be known as men who do not show partiality, who do not have prejudice, who do not show unjust favoritism. But we love our brothers, we love our neighbors, even our neighbors that come from groups that we, that we might not understand or, or, um, or know very well ourselves. So, that's a long introduction, but I just wanted to sort of put partiality in its place. Dale talked about it a lot last week, so we're not going to hit it too much more this week. What I want to talk today about from this passage is the law of love, the law of love. And so we're going to talk about the royal law that, that, this, that is talked about in this passage. We're going to talk about judgment and mercy, and we're going to talk about living out your love. So let's start at the beginning of this passage again. When, uh, with James, uh, when he says, eight, verses 8 and 9, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So the royal law, what is the royal law? What does royal mean? What is royalty? Authority? Somebody said it over here. We have a, what's royal? What's what makes it royal? It's a king, right? So this is we talk a lot about. We don't we don't talk about this very much. We've been talking about this at the office a lot lately. That we we are under a king. We live in a kingdom. Jesus uses kingdom language all the time. The kingdom of God is like the kingdom of heaven is like we gentlemen who are following Christ, we are following a king. And so the king's law is the royal law. And so that, that begs the question then, does the law still apply? Because I don't, you know, we, we hear, especially a lot of us, you know, what are we about here? We call this a grace-based application-oriented Bible study for men, right? So when we hear grace, sometimes we can go all the way over to, well, grace covers everything. And from a salvation standpoint, 
from a justification in front of in the, in the eyes of God, absolutely grace covers everything. But from a sanctification standpoint, from a, the way that we live our lives, from from us from a witness standpoint, a testimony standpoint, from a citizenship standpoint, as subjects of a king, we are subject to the law of the king. And so you might say, well, Jesus did away with the Old Testament law. Well, not so fast. Turn to Matthew 5. By the way, there's a ton of parallels. If you want to uh, do some personal study on your own, read the Sermon on the Mount and then go read James again. And you'll realize how many parallels there are between the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 and 6, and, um, and James. It's almost like they knew each other. Thanks for the three guys that got that. All right. Uh, Matthew 5, 44 says this. And that's not Matthew 5, 44. Sorry. It's um, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Straightforward. What, what, what did Jesus, did he, is the law gone? No, the law is not gone. I've, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And he goes on, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the what? Kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he picks on the Pharisees again, like he likes to do in the next verse. So no, the law is not gone anywhere. The law still applies, all right? So then the next question might be, well, are some laws more important than others? So Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've, um, you've elevated some laws over other laws. Um, for instance, the Pharisees were fanatic about the Sabbath, the laws around the Sabbath. But they would literally not take care of their parents because they would say, oh, well, I, I need to give that money that I could use to take care of my parents. I need to use that for God's work. So, which might mean just buying nicer priest robes, right? So, so Jesus, Jesus saw that the, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, and the scribes, the ruling religious elite, they just picked and chose which laws they wanted to follow or which laws they wanted to emphasize. And, and, and Jesus says, that's, that's not. All the laws are important, not an iota or a dot. Uh, um, and, and then, in fact, if you look at uh, the last verse in Matthew 5, um, he, really, he really lays it on the line. He says, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's pretty intense. And this is all in the context of following the law. So let's ask one more question then. What does the law do for us today? Why, in other words, God is not arbitrary. Jesus is not arbitrary. Where do the laws come from and what, are, what do they do for us today? And what the laws do for us is they give us uh, structure. They give us a framework for how to live our lives. If you look at the, if you look at the Ten Commandments, which when the in when the um, 
in the New Testament, when they're talking about the law, they're typically talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? Everything kind of comes from the Ten Commandments. Now, there's different kinds of law. There's moral law, there's civil law, and there's ceremonial law, okay? So the ceremonial law, that's all the, that's all the things about sacrifices and feast days and those kinds of things. And Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. That's why we don't follow the ceremonial law anymore. That's why we don't need to celebrate Passover. We, you can still celebrate it, but you don't need to in the, in the sense of Jesus is the Passover lamb. Easter is our new Passover. Communion, when you celebrate communion, you're celebrating the new Passover. And so Jesus replaced the ceremonial law. The civil law, well, we have civil laws now. They had civil laws then. That's, a, that's about the nation that you live in. And so we're not following Israeli or Jewish civil laws. We follow American civil laws, but the moral law we follow. In fact, our law of this land is based on the Old Testament moral law. And so the first four commandments are about our relationship with God, and the next six commandments are about our relationship with each other. And so the Ten Commandments are a framework. They're not arbitrary. They're not like, you shall, uh, uh, you shall you know, dye your left index finger purple on, on Tuesdays that come during the second full moon of the year. That's a weird, arbitrary superstition. These are laws like, hey, don't covet your neighbor's wife. You know, I'm really glad that my neighbor does not covet my wife. That's a good thing for me to live in a community, knowing that that's something. Don't murder. Don't steal. Right? Take care of your mom and dad. Honor your father and mother. These are all moral laws that help us live. So why would we think that the moral law does not apply to us anymore? It makes no sense. And, and believe it or not, there's actually a, 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 a belief called antinomianism that, that rose up early on um, uh, in, um, in, with the Gnostics in the early days, and it, and it exists through to today. But uh, what antinomianism says is we are so covered by grace that we don't have to follow any rules anymore. We don't have to follow any laws anymore. <clears throat> this is antinomianism. And some people think that Luther was an antinomian because he talked so much about freedom and liberty. But Luther was absolutely not an antinomian. We cannot be antinomian. We are called to follow the law. In fact, look at, look at this. This is a quote from Luther from his commentary on, the, on Romans, <clears throat> written in 1522. He says this, Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ce ceasing. Anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever. Thus, listen, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. Faith and works go together. The fascinating thing to me about this is that Luther didn't even want James to be in the New Testament. And yet, this is exactly what James is about. It's about, the, it's about the connection between faith and works. And just like, just like Luther said, you can't separate faith from works <clears throat> any more than you can separate heat and light from fire. It's a great analogy for us to think about. If we are believers, if we are living by faith, you're going to see the fruit of that in our lives. <clears throat>
so then let's look at so that that's that's sort of the first uh uh the first two verses the next two verses say this uh for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it for he who said do not commit adultery and also said do not murder also said do not murder if you do not commit adultery but do murder you become a transgressor of the law so Gentlemen, how many of you live perfect lives, never violating any of the law? I'm so glad that there's no hand up in this room, right? There was one over here. They were, Cliff, come on, man. It might, well, I don't know. It's Cliff. It might be true, but I doubt it. Uh, yeah, of course, of course we don't live like this. James is giving us a, a standard to live up to, but what does this standard point us to? It points us to Christ right? We, we know that we can't live up to it. Paul says, you know, I don't do the things I want to do. I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Who can save me from this body of death? Praise God. Jesus Christ saves me, right? And so we need to look to the, what, what, um, what, it, what Hebrews says is the author and perfecter of our faith so that we can follow the law more closely and live up to this high calling that Jesus gives us and that James gives us, all right? So then let's talk then about judgment and mercy. James, James goes on to say this, so, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs uh, over justice. So this is a very interesting way to start. Look at how this starts. He says, so speak and so act. So this is one of those things that's tough to translate directly into English very clearly. But he's not saying, um, therefore speak this way, therefore act this way. What he's saying is, um, speak and act. He's putting, them, he's putting them together. In other words, you can't just say things and act differently. And you can't just act one way or, and say something different. These two things go together. Your words and your deeds go together. It's not two separate things. This is, this is about living consistently under the law of liberty. I remember when I was a kid, I still remember this because it's, it's, it's a pithy thing, but I was in youth group and they used to say, does your walk equal your talk? That's what, we're ta- that's what James is talking about here. Does, you know, a lot of, I don't know about you, but I know, I know believers I think they're believers who walk around and they know a lot of scripture. They can tell you a lot of religious things, but they're, but then you look at their life and their walk isn't consistent with that. And so James is saying here at the very, at the very start of this part, so speak and so act, these things must go together. And then he's talking, and then he talks about mercy and judgment. So let's look at a parable that Jesus gives us about mercy and judgment. So go to Matthew 18. And let's look up at the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. I'm going to read through it real quick here. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, which is like basically every time. You have to forgive him every time. 
And then, and then he gives this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then here's the scary part. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let that sink in for a second. That's a pretty heavy statement that Jesus makes there. It's, it's, it's a pretty clear indication of the importance of forgiveness. And who is saying it? The, the, the one who was, knew he was on his way to the cross. The one who knew he was about to pay all those debts. And so if we follow a Christ, a Messiah, a, a Savior who has saved us from the wrongs that we've committed. How can we show partiality to those around us and not forgive those who have wronged us? This is what James is saying. So the principle here is that we need to show mercy as we have been shown mercy. Now he says here, he talks about this law of liberty um, some translations will say the law of freedom or the law that brings freedom. How many of you have ever thought of a law bringing freedom? But that's exactly what God's law does because God's law comes from, from a point of salvation. We love Christ because he loved us. We've been, get, we've been, given, we've been forgiven for everything. So we need to live lives of forgiveness. And so partiality at its core is saying, God's forgiveness isn't for you, it's just for me. It's hateful at its core. It's arrogant and it's rude. Contrast that with 1 Corinthians 13, right? And you see what love is. It's patient and it's kind. It's not haughty. It's not rude. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. This should shape the way that we live with, people, with the people around us. We follow the law of liberty, the law of freedom, because this is the law of love. It is not a law of condemnation. It's a law of love. And so um, this brings us then to our big idea. So everybody knows the golden rule, right? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I think this law is above the golden rule. So I called it the platinum rule. I will do unto others as God has done unto me. I will do unto others as, as God has done unto me. 
So then how do we live out our love? Well, I'm going to encourage you to take a, a little personal heart inventory here and ask yourself these questions. Do I pick and choose which parts of the law to follow? We need to follow all of the law because Jesus fulfills it. Generally, are there people who I am prejudiced against? Or are there people who I favor unrighteously? And then finally, do I treat everyone to the best of my ability the way that God treats me? We must ask the question, am I a wicked servant? Am I a person who hoards my own forgiveness, but I'm unwilling to share that with other people? It's a heavy thought when Jesus says this that if that's the way that you live, then, then you'll be treated the same by the Father. So brothers, I implore you, don't live lives of partiality. Don't live lives of unforgiveness. Don't live lives of bitterness. Live, live a life that recognizes the sacrifice that Christ made for you. That Live a life that follows the laws of the King that we live under so that you can experience true freedom in Christ. Once again, the big idea is the platinum rule. I will do unto others as God has done unto me. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we don't like rules very much. We don't like laws and restrictions. But Lord, we know that your law is perfect, that your law, when followed, promises to give us a, a flourishing life, a, a life of freedom a life of true freedom from the bondages of sin, freedom from, from uh, people hurting each other, freedom from self-reliance and self-righteousness. Lord, we want to live these lives of freedom. So would you help us to follow your law? Would you, out of our faith, Lord, would we have a love for your law because your law is good and perfect? And Lord, as we look at that in our own lives as we realize that we can never measure up to that standard. Would you help us, Father, to live lives of faith, to live lives that experience the grace that you offer through Jesus. Lord, so when we fall down, when we fail, when we don't follow the law perfectly, we can remember that, that Jesus saves us from that, that Jesus redeems us from that, that Jesus died for that. And that we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And Lord, we ask you to, through your Spirit, help us to live lives of mercy and grace and law following. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find the Man in the Mirror Bible Study wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on our YouTube page. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and share the podcast with friends. Since 1986, Man in the Mirror has been teaching the Bible, helping us reflect deeply as men and apply God's truth to our lives. This Bible study is recorded in front of a live audience every Friday morning outside of Orlando, Florida. If you need help navigating your life or leading other men, please go to maninthemirror.org and check out our vast library of Bible study videos, blogs, and articles on Christian growth and leadership. There are plenty of resources you can use to grow in your faith and help others grow too. At maninthemirror.org, you will find books written just for men, helpful materials for your church's ministry to men, and even a potential career in men's discipleship. 
If you're a man personally struggling in life or you need help in discipling men, please send us an email at biblestudy at maninthemirror.org and let us know how we can help.